Holy Saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Today is April, excuse me, May the 4th, May the 4th. And as we gather today, we gather around God's Word for this next hour with the gift of the inspired and true Word of God and put our Christ goggles on to see our Lord Jesus, who is the light of the world. His light shines on us today from 1 Kings chapter 8. The Ark of the Covenant is in the temple. The promise that the son of David would build the temple has been fulfilled. And today, Solomon asks the Lord's blessing on his people in prayer. It's a wonderful prayer, probably a prayer we should pray ourselves. And so today, we will pray it as we study it and see our Lord Jesus. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. A special thanks to Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. To help us be strengthened by God's Word, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Kevin Parviz of Congregation Kai V. Shalom. Pastor Parviz, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Good morning. How are you, Pastor? I'm well. Happy Easter. And to you as well. Christ is risen. <laughs> Risen indeed, alleluia. So tell us yeah. what's happening for you and the and the, the saints at Kai V. Shalom. Uh, we're just uh, enjoying the Easter, Easter season and looking forward to Pentecost and getting ready to do a Saturday. We have a big um, sort of a social ministry outreach, putting together some what we call blessing bags for a local um, pantry that we have going here in Dogtown. So it's all good. Wonderful, wonderful. And well, today is May the fourth. So may the fourth be with you. Yeah, right, right. And I'm not sure if is it is it sacrilegious to say, and also with you. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how that works. I don't know so. about that. But, but I have a little granddaughter that was born on this day, and uh, I really wanted my son to name her Leia, but that didn't happen. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, such is life. But yeah, it is the fourth yeah. of May. I tried to say it was April at the beginning, but it is May, and May the fourth. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, well, as I had a little bit of a dilemma. Um, when I came to St. Louis for Sherathon uh, a week and a half ago, was that I, I had here. I was yeah yeah I was here for for two days and uh, for in St. Louis excuse me not here I'm in Minnesota but was in St. Louis for a few days and you had given me your list of the the restaurant to eat right across from your congregation and I had to make a choice next time I'm going to try to have lunch with you because I actually had. Um, dinner with Pastor Boyce Claire at Hodax because that was my first choice to go to in South City. So I apologize, but next time uh, I'll, I'll make a make it make you on top of my list to make it to. So, All right, sweet. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, as we are digging into First Kings chapter eight, Pastor, can you begin us in prayer? Absolutely. Abba Father, we thank and praise you for this day, and we thank you for this prayer that instructs us and shows us your word and your will. We pray, Father, that you would anoint us anew by your Holy Spirit for understanding, Father, that we might take this uh, this word and use it for the furtherance of your kingdom in this place. B'Shem Yeshua HaMashiach, in the name of Jesus, our Messiah. Amen. 
Amen. Reminder to everyone that if you have any questions concerning our text today, drop us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org. At the same time, I encourage our listeners to download the KFUO radio app. It is now available in your app store, especially, I know for sure it is on your iPhones, but there is a wonderful app that you can, you can just go into there. If you're a podcast listener, this is really convenient because you'll be able just to go on the app and listen live. You build, you don't have to go on the website um, for such things and you can download any episode that we have here on Thy Strong Word. So go to your app store on your phone, KFUO, uh, KFUO Radio, and you'll be able to just go right onto the app. Um, of course, you know, it's, it's a little bit weird for me to say this, and Pastor, maybe you agree, is that was it really that inconvenient to have to go to the podcast app and do like two things to get the <laughs> to get your program, or is it easier just with one push? I don't know. But that's but it is a wonderful use. Do you have the do you have the uh, KFUO app yet, Pastor? I do. Yeah. Although uh, I usually just listen on my computer and it makes it really easy. I don't listen on my phone very often. There, there you go. All right. So if you're just like Pastor Parviz, no problem. Do it there. But if you're one that uses your phone to listen, like I typically will do, here's an opportunity to use your app. So but we are in First uh, Kings chapter eight. And and this is a wonderful uh, I, to to study the temple has been a real blessing for me. I think I, I told this to Pastor Shockman um, yesterday was the reality in class in the Old Testament class at seminary as you're trying to learn everything about the Old Testament. Typically, you got to the temple and how it was built, and they're kind of like, okay, skip over that and let's go to the end of First Kings. Right. But it's been a joy to see it, and I, I really want to hear your perspective on this because the temple is done, um, his palace is completed, the Ark of the Covenant is in the temple. What is the significance of this throughout the Old Testament and for the people of Israel? I mean, the Ark of the Covenant has become uh, much like the Shekinah, the symbol or the, the manifestation of God's presence in a confined place. And we know, and Solomon alludes to this here, how can you be bound by these walls? And certainly God cannot, but he deigns in these times to dwell with us. He's never, he never leaves, leaves his throne in heaven, and yet he dwells with us here in the temple, he dwells with us through the Shekinah. And of course, that's all just prefiguring the incarnation, where he dwells with us in the human form of, of our Lord Jesus. And so it's always amazing mm. to me. I, I think, uh, I think you know, I always say the, the benediction that Aaron gives to the people uh, is, uh, is uh, fulfilled in the incarnation, but God wants us to show us his face. He knows in our sinful con- condition that we cannot bear it, but he shows us his face in a way that we can not only see it, but live and live eternally. And so he, he, he's showing, he's giving us the prefiguring of that incarnation here as he dwells in this place. I also love this prayer because it really shows Solomon's wisdom about uh, not only himself, but his own people. And it's almost as he prays, he's taking care of almost every contingency. It seems like there's only one that he hasn't considered. <laughs> exactly. Because he does say a lot of when and if. Um, yeah, yeah. He's covering all of his bases. And sometimes that can get weird when we talk about, well, just in case, Lord, I'm going to pray this. But that's a true prayer. I mean, it's very much so a part of our Christian life. Lord, when this happens, help me to turn back to you. If this happens, such and such. So it's a wonderful prayer, like you said, that he really thought through the, all the situations. 
Um, any other background information that you have or thoughts before we dig in? Well, I just, I, and he, he does allude to this as we get to it as well, but I always teach that the temple in its place, as Solomon builds it, is a perfect uh, illustration of God's will for the world. Uh, we've mm. called this centripetal evangelism because, of course, in the in those all those trade routes that go through trying to avoid the desert and the sea, all these peoples from Asia and from Africa and from Europe are going to be coming right through this place where the where God had the temple built, and uh, you know He's drawing all the people into Himself. Uh, and of course, when the temple is made flesh in Jesus, and we become the temple as the church, it becomes centrifugal. He sends us out. But in this time and place, God is drawing all the nations to himself. That is great. Now, it'd be interesting to do a, uh, I guess you say, a study or a look. And maybe you're, I'm, now I'm intrigued by your thoughts is, how does this connect to Pentecost? How does that connect to uh um, the, the nations coming together, and I'm thinking of uh, when he calls them to be his witnesses, you know, um, throughout the throughout yeah. the world. I don't know any thoughts on that with the New Testament, uh, Pentecost, so forth. Well, you know, the the interesting thing is that all the na- all the Jewish people are coming to the temple for the for the festival of Shavuot, which has mm. become even by then both agrarian as well as a celebration of the giving of the Torah, the giving of word. And so all these people from all these nations are coming in in this sort of centripetal movement toward the temple. And then the Holy Spirit indwells 3,000 people, and they don't hang around in Jerusalem. They go back to their homes. And so you start to see the Great Commission uh, going out from the temple in, in Jerusalem, even there on Pentecost as they take the word back to their own communities. I'm convinced that when Paul writes to this church in Rome, that is not a church he built, nor is it a church he has visited, but it's a church that has its origins here at Pentecost. When these Roman Jews are here for this festival, they get saved, they get indwelt by the Holy Spirit, they go back to Rome and they build a church. Oh, sure, sure. So you're seeing a glimpse of that. We're even praising here today that those who do not believe come and see that they may know that the name mm-hmm. of the Lord is here. I mean, this is this is why evangelism didn't just start in Acts chapter 1 or Acts chapter 2 or Matthew 28. It was there from the beginning, He bringing people to be his own. Uh, I so mean, take- that he will be a blessing to many nations. God's heart has always been, though— Yes, through his chosen people, but for all people. Right. Oh, this is great. So let's dig in as he prays to the one true God. We're beginning in verse 22 of First Kings chapter 8. Reminder to our listeners, we are reading from the English Standard Version. The gifts are ready. Verse 22. I'm just going to read one verse for now. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven. Now, I just want to make sure we have the context correct because this, he assembled the elders, before this, he ascended the elders, uh, the elders, excuse me, I'm not speaking well this morning, um, assembled the elders and he prayed. Um, and now he stood before the altar. So he's a, a, he's a kingly leader who acts as a spiritual leader. 
And he stands before the altar and prays and puts his hands out as a, as a sign of prayer, I suppose. Any insights on that verse as we, as before he, we read about his prayer? Well, and I think that it's important too. Uh, yeah, Solomon is both, uh, I mean, he is prophet, priest, and king. He, mm-hmm. The divine line holds all those offices. And, uh, and those, of course, are fulfilled in the heir of David, who is Jesus. Um, mm. But, uh, yeah, Solomon, the thing that strikes me is he's brought all of Israel together. So you can see these wonderful courts that he's built that are filled with people. It was, it was really a shame uh, this last week that we had this tragedy in Lagbomer in Israel when all the, the Orthodox Jews were coming together in that place. And I don't know exactly what happened, but there was a stampede. They were, but they were coming mm-hmm. to not to the temple and not to the presence of God, but to the the tomb of a second century rabbi. I mean, by that time, who he, who was believed to have been the Messiah, at least a student of Rabbi Akiva, who was believed to be the Messiah. Um, you know, mm-hmm. the, the the change the in in a mere two three centuries after Jesus of the Jewish people who are no longer assembling here at the temple, but assembling in the, at the tombs of a, of a second century rabbi who has been long dead and uh, is not resurrected till the return of the Lord. And then unfortunately perhaps judged and uh, judged. I don't speculate on that, but the point right, is, right. is that Solomon here has brought this huge crowd to the temple and one can wonder, I mean, I've been in those, at least at, at the Western Wall and in those courts that, they, that have been built since then, supposedly on the sites of the courts that were built, um, how the sound travels. And I'm always fascinated by sound because Jesus likes to go out on the water and use lakes as, as microphones. Um, oh, yeah. But I think people are hearing, you know, they're hearing this prayer. And when he as we will read, starts talking about how they're going to sin and fall away and be taken into captivity. All you got to wonder how they're all sitting here rejoicing in this wonderful thing, and all of a sudden, what? Huh? Wait a second. And you, yeah, and you can just hear the cut of their hearts there as the covenant is cut. Yeah. Well, and that's a it's a good reminder for us as we listen too, because there are times, and I'm a pastor's kid, and so I remember sitting there as a kid, and my dad's praying for something, kind of like this, assuming that we're going to sin, and you kind of nudge your sister, like, is he talking about me, or is he talking about you know? So I can (laughs) totally can get it. I totally understand um, how the people would have reacted. That's a great insight, pastor, to think about not only the words he says, but how would this have been received. And you also grieve that all of Israel's there. And he says these yeah. wonderful words and how many people did not want to necessarily hear it. So let's yeah. dig in. 23 through 26, as he begins to pray and said, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart who have kept with your servant David, my father, what you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand have fulfilled it to this day. Now, therefore, O Lord, God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, what you have promised him, saying, you shall not lack a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your sons pay close attention to their way, 
to walk before me as you have walked before me. Now, therefore, O God of Israel, let your word be confirmed, which you have spoken to your servant David, my father. So he obviously admits there's the one true God. And what does he what does he ask in this prayer? Well, I, I think this, uh, obviously, as Solomon grows older and his greatest, I mean, you know, Solomon is a wise man given this gift of wisdom, but he also makes a lot of mistakes. And raising his son, Rehoboam, to split the kingdom, uh, you know, that, that, that's, this isn't going to last very long, except that it always lasts, that the, the remnant always is there of even the kingship as it is fulfilled in our Lord Jesus. Uh, but yeah, it's like you've kept your, you've, you've kept your promises, now keep your promise going forward, as long as we can walk before you. You know, if we're faithful, keep your promise to us. But there is this, but he's going to go on, and, and, and clearly as time goes on, we will see in history that faithfulness is a, is a fleeting thing sometime in the people of Israel. And this goes back, what I would consider to be part, I, I found many similarities with how he's praying when you look at the, the Lord's Prayer and the small catechism. Because Luther uses these unique words, and I can't help but think he's not thinking of this prayer, because, you know, like, thy will be done on earth as is in heaven. What does this mean? The good and gracious will of God is done even without our prayer, but we pray in this petition that it may be done among us also. That yeah. mis- to, to me, that's a mystery of prayer that, that, yeah, you made this covenant, but Lord, keep the covenant. Any, right. any, yeah. thoughts, on that? any but, thoughts on but, that? I think it's fascinating. I mean, it is, but the co- a covenant is, is not a contract, right? A covenant is a promise that goes essentially one way, but calls upon the one who receives the covenant to respond. And sure. so the, you know, Solomon's prayer is really, yes, and, and, and Jews do this today. We always nudge God and remind him that, you know, he's promised to do this for us, so don't forget your promise. Um, <laughs> God, God doesn't forget his promise, but I think Solomon's prayer is keep us faithful. We know that mm-hmm. you're a covenant. He's already, he's already said, you are the true God. You are the covenant keeper. You are the one whose hand is fulfilled. Um, Keep us faithful, because uh, that's the only way this covenant can continue. Well, and I'm going to do another small catechism <laughs> point there, because you really connected, uh, I think, to the first petition, the hallowed be my name. By, hallowed be thy name. What does this mean? God's name is yeah. certainly kept holy in itself. But we pray in this petition that it may be kept holy among us also, saying, Lord, yeah. help us to be faithful. And I think that connects very well. Okay. Enough of that. Any the last thoughts on those verses before we move on? All right. All right. 27 through 30. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea. O Lord, my God, listening to the cry to the prayer that your servant prays before you this day, that your eyes may be open night and day toward this house, the place of which you have said. My name shall be there, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place, and listen to the plea of your servant and of your people Israel, when they pray toward this place and listen in heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive." 
What does Solomon ask in these verses? You know, there's a joke in Israel that, you know, it, I think it was told, there, I forget who it was, Henry Kissinger and whoever it was in Israel at the time. But the joke was, of course, that it's a long-distance call to God from anywhere else but Israel. and Israel, it's a local call. Um, <laughs> God's ear is there in, in this temple. And, and Solomon is saying, we know that you can't be bound by this house. Even the highest heaven cannot bind you. Um, all of space and time are bound within you, but in this place, when your servants call out to you, listen and hear. And so there's, it's almost as if, you know, you've got a lot on your plate, God, but always keep this line open so that you can hear us. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And for me, when he's, when he's saying that, that is really helpful too, because, uh, um, now, it's hard to think about this long distance versus local calls nowadays because that whole concept yeah. of long versus local is not really a thing anymore. Um, yeah, exactly. But it, it is it is that mystery of, yes, God is everywhere, meaning people in China and Israel are able to pray to the same God, but yet he has chosen to be in this place that I have built. I always thought, I kind of view verse 27 as him kind of saying, I don't get it, but it's true. How, how is this possible? I don't yeah. know, but it is true. So any any thoughts on the thoughts on that mystery and how that relates to today? Well, that's, that's the lovely, lovely thing about uh, God's name. And we don't often use it, but, the, you know, in the ESV, this little kind of uppercase, lowercase Lord is where the name Yahweh is. And, mm-hmm. and Solomon says, you know, you have said my name shall be there. I mean, his name is I am that I am. I always am. I always am. I just, I mean, I'm an eternal present. And, and his name is there. And then when God anoints us with the Holy Spirit, he writes his name on our hearts. And he's always there. I am that I am. And, you know, that's the nature of God so that he you know, that's why he gave us his name, so that we would not only get to know him, but to understand, at least in some, you know, very, uh, you know, limited way, this omnipresent, omniscient God who is so close to us. And that brings us back to Jesus in the same way. In my congregation, I serve at Messiah, Messiah Lutheran Church, is that they have all the stained glass windows are the I am statements of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so you're able to have that same understanding when you're in church that you're surrounded by the I am, the name above all names, the name that, that we will kneel when he comes into our presence. And, uh, and you're able to see him face to face, as you said so well before. And he knew that mystery then. And now we're able to see it even more fully when we have Christ as the great I am as well. Any last thoughts on those verses? Well, I love the thing that Solomon finishes this particular part of the text with. You know, when you hear to your people, forgive them. Because, you know, when they're they're not cognizant of their sin, they're probably not going to be talking much to you. But when they're broken by their sin and they're crying out to you, forgive them. Right. Yeah. And it's so short, too. When you listen to your drawing place and when you hear, forgive. Like there's no yeah. <laughs> not a long yeah. understanding of the equation. Okay, they do this, you do this. It's just forgive. 
And this is now, could we say, "Ah, I don't want to go that far, but it is an interesting thought is almost when someone is praying that, and and they are willing to pray. And especially the way when they plead to him, he's kind of assuming repentance in that. Is that kind of what we're assuming? I mean, I think those who are led by the spirit to pray to God uh, authentically in Christ's name are always going to be in a state of repentance because we know our condition before God and we know that God is perfect and, and truly the only entree we have to God is through, is through our Messiah Yeshua. And so we, we, are, you know, we begin with, I know God, I don't deserve this call, but forgive me and listen. Uh, and so that that is the that is the sincere prayer of every Christian who, ple- you know, if we're just going to cry out to God as our bubblegum machine, I think that's the traditional analogy just for our wants. That's not a sincere prayer. Um, you know, when we come before God in sincerity, it's always going to be couched in our inadequacy to even be standing before him. True. Yeah, that's that's a great way to put it together. Well, I want to read these next two verses and have a few thoughts. We have about two minutes before our break. 31, 32. I'll shut up. If a ma- <laughs> no, I'm the one asking the questions here. 31 to 32, so it's probably my fault. 31. If a man sins against his neighbor and is made to take an oath and comes and swears his oath before your altar in this house, then hear in heaven and act and judge your servants condemning the guilty by bringing his conduct on his own head and vindicating the righteous by rewarding him according to his righteousness. Now, this one was a little less clear to me as I was studying it. Um, Can you kind of clear that up for a little bit? And what is he saying here? Well, you know, the thing is, if we sin against our neighbor and our neighbor calls us on it, you know, there is that I haven't heard it in a long time, but uh, I swear to God, this is the truth. You know that kind right. of that kind of language, that oath that a neighbor sometimes will require of you just to prove your sincerity, right? And mm-hmm. you can make that oath uh, insincerely just to try to convince this person who you've sinned against that you're telling the truth or that you haven't ripped him off or whatever it is. And so they'll say, "Will you? Will you?" Will you plead before God that? And yeah, sure. And then, and then, of course, it's not, it's not honest. So God knows the heart. And so Solomon is saying, if all that happens, you know who's righteous and you know who's not. You deal with it. Ah, okay. And that that it, clears it up. Yep. And it kind of reminds me of the the story of Solomon where he was brought the the two women who had a baby, and yeah. and who were arguing over whose baby it was. You know, he he let God deal with it in their hearts. Uh, he wasn't about to make that decision. He just put the put the case out there before God, and God made that decision through them. And he knew that the one who was willing to sacrifice her child was the one whose mother it was. And then, and once again, a situation like that would clearly point us to prayer, which is what Solomon's doing. But right now, we need to take our break. We are studying 1 Kings chapter 8 with Pastor Kevin Parviz, and we'll be right back.
Our listeners and supporters are talking about Worldwide KFUO. I'm listening to you on my Kindle here in Great Falls, Virginia. I just want to thank you so much for the beautiful music, and I'm so thankful for you. God bless you and keep you in your good work. Thanks again. Bye-bye. To leave a message on the KFUO comment line, call 314-996-1542. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Worldwide KFUO. To serve and be served. This is the heart of the mercy work happening at the Shepherd's Hand Community Outreach Center in Fort Wayne, Indiana. This new recognized service organization of the LCMS cares for families in soul, mind, and body through education and health programs, always pointing those they serve to Christ and His Church. You can support this mission work by walking, running, or donating to their first annual 5K happening on May 15th. Sign up before May 12th at shepherdshandfw.org. That's shepherdshandfw.org. You hear our voices every day as we speak the gospel, share the latest news, or for insightful and sometimes entertaining talk. Why not share your voice with us and send us your feedback, suggestions, and questions? Leave your comment at 314-996-1542. Be sure to follow us on social media, too, so you can like, comment, and share your favorite posts. Drop an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or send a snail mail letter to Worldwide KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. And welcome back. We are studying 1 Kings chapter 8 with Pastor Kevin Parviz as Solomon begins to pray. And he has wonderful words of prayer to remind us how we should pray. That although we know the Lord is faithful, we ask that the Lord would help us to be faithful. As we know that the Lord has made a covenant with us, Lord, keep your promises and Lord, help us to keep our promises. Pastor, as we continue to move forward, uh, it obviously is he's putting everything in the Lord's hands right now, and that's what we should be doing. Any last thoughts on those first uh, number of verses before we move on? I think we have a lot to cover. (laughs) Let's keep going. Verses 33 and 34. When your people Israel are defeated before the enemy because they have sinned against you, and if they turn again to you and acknowledge your name and pray and plead with you in his house, Then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them again to the land that you gave to their fathers. Now, in these verses, Pastor, and and this is good for our listeners, too, to see, is there are a few times where he uses a different word at the beginning. Instead of if your people are defeated, he says when your people are defeated. Is there anything to that? I I mean, I think that's an inevitability. I I always love in... in, uh... I think it's first Peter three sixteen, or where he says, when you are slandered, I mean, there is, you know, there is a human condition that we're going to sin. And he, he mentions this later. Um, um, this is going to happen. And it's got to be hard for Solomon, who was a, a really successful king, had a large army, had a prosperous kingship, the nation of Israel is almost at their pinnacle here, I would guess. Um, and yet, when your people Israel are defeated before the enemy, that's that's just something that Solomon knows is going to happen. Um, because we are unfaithful people, and he has just said to God, keep us faithful, but we're not going to be. You know, right. no matter how, and that's that's the struggle with God's, allowing us the the 
I mean, you know, I, I hate, you know, I, I realize that our bondage is always in will, uh, either to Satan or to Jesus, but the the free will question always has to rein its ugly head here. And why does God allow us the latitude to sin? But it's mm-hmm. because what good would we be if we were autom- you know, automatons who simply had no no ability to worship and praise Him willingly? Mm-hmm. I mean, so that's that is you know that's always the nature of the question of our relationship with God. And of course, I deal with that all the time with uh, Jewish people and unbelieving people. You know, they just uh, are, are stymied by the fact that if that if God is so good, why is there evil in the world? Well, that's the nature of man, and God doesn't doesn't make us do the things. You know, that's the that's the thing. You can't you know you can't convert me is the language I often hear, and I always say I'm not attempting to, and that's not my job. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, and even He doesn't make you. Um, so. You know, that's just a challenge that we always have to live with. It is, that very difficult understanding. And this is the wisdom of Solomon. And as he knows that there will be sin, and but he also gives that hope that, yeah, you're going to sin, and Israel will be defeated. I mean, this is not about, you know, you reigning on high and having all the power, even though later on it seems like Solomon's just going to be fat and happy the rest of his life. I mean, it's just an yeah. amazing thing yeah. to read. Um, but he says, when it happens, there's always hope because you can always turn back to him. And it asked, just like in the small catechism, um, for the forgiveness of sins. And here he unpacks it even more than before. It was just like, forgive them. But here he talks about turning back, pleading with you, and please uh, forgive them and bring them back to their land. Any last thoughts on those verses? Well, I just think what's so interesting is Solomon knows that our that victory against the enemy has nothing to do with our might. It has more mm-hmm. to do with our faithfulness. And uh, that's that's an interesting thought because, you know, I, uh, I grew up in a time when I remember very clearly the war in 1967. And I'm not going to tell you that Israel is a faithful nation because it's not. But God's hand is still on that nation for some reason. It has to be because... To see that miraculous victory that had nothing to do with might um, mm. is, is, is still amazing, and that's that's still very big in my memory. So, um, you know, victory, God's people do not succeed because they're mighty. I mean, that was the whole point of choosing Abram. We, I didn't choose you because you were the biggest of all peoples or because you were the mightiest. I chose you because you were so small, Right. Uh, because I want right. to show my glory. And and God, you know, victory in 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 battle has nothing to do with might. It has all to do with faithfulness. And we need to remember that when regard with regard to uh, our our spiritual battles that we're in as well. As He calls us to be faithful, how that looks and how that manifests. You know, you can preach the gospel to a hundred people and no one believes. It does not mean that you are not being faithful, which is what God has called yeah. us to do. 35 and 36, we'll keep going. When heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, if they pray toward this place and acknowledge your name and turn from their sin when you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel. When you teach them the good way in which they should walk and grant rain upon your land, which you have given to your people as an inheritance. 
Now, this is kind of interesting, and we have to be careful how we talk about it. But definitely, he's saying that when there is a drought, which is inevitable, no matter how you you can't control the rain, it's just the way it is, that one of the first things we should do is pray. That's how I'm looking at that. Other thoughts you have? Well, sure. I mean, all these physical manifestations of horrible things in our in our world are manifestations of the brokenness of our world. And so, you know, I, I might push that a little farther and say, yes, droughts, floods, famines, they are as a re- they are a result of sin. Hurricanes, mm-hmm. uh, that's just the natural the, the natural fallen brokenness of our world showing us uh, who we are. And so. When those things happen, we've got to raise it up to God and, and, and pray for forgiveness and pray for deliverance from these natural disasters. And I, I remember and hearing a pastor. Means, Go ahead. I'm, I just by no means do I want to say that, you know, Hurricane Katrina is God's judgment upon New Orleans. Right. Uh, you know, and I know there was a lot of that going on. It's, Hurricane Katrina is God's judgment on a broken world by virtue of the fact that our world is broken and these things happen. Uh, there's far greater sinful places, I'm sure. But, um, but the point is, is when we see these things happen, it's, it's, it's time to lift up to God and confess and, and be forgiven and be delivered. And that's, and that's exactly right, because uh, whenever there is a tragedy, it should lead us to repentance to ourselves, and we have to be careful then not to make it sound like, well, if only they would have repented, or this would have repented, yeah. like New Orleans or whatever, then we would be okay. Well, that's that's the next step that we just can't answer that question, but we do know that Lord help us, and then in that repentance, and as he t- I mean, he says this all the time. I mean, this is very eye opening to me because I think there's a tendency to think that that there there almost is no forgiveness in the Old Testament. You know, it only happens when Jesus comes and blah, 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 blah. But yeah, here he's right. asking for it. Very clear he knows that God is a forgiving God. Any, any thoughts mm-hmm. on the forgiveness of God um, in Old Testament? How, any thoughts on that? I mean, certainly God gave us the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins. I mean, that's mm-hmm. Leviticus 17, and that's what this whole temple is part and parcel of, is the uh, the atonement of the people. And so, uh, you know, this temple is the place where atonement will happen. And, uh, and so when Solomon is praying these prayers, it's, it's, it is in very full recognition of the fact that this is where the people will come for their forgiveness. And that goes with the understanding of dwelling. God is dwelling there. He's not dwelling there just to to, to judge by any means, but he's dwelling there to forgive right. his people. I mean, it really, there's so many connections here, Pastor. I love how you said it, too, that, you know, it goes back to Jesus and tabernacled among us. And I know, uh, I can't remember who exactly said it on the program here, but just you could also use a tabernacle and temple understanding, you know, Jesus made flesh, um, tab- templed among us was kind of a language you could use as well. So I, it really all connects in a beautiful way. Like you said, the Messiah, Yeshua, is definitely in these words as well. Any last thoughts before we move on? No, no. All right, 37 through 40. If there is a famine in the land, if there is pestilence or blight or mildew or locust or caterpillar, if their enemy besieges them in the land at their gates, whatever plague, whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, Whatever plea is made by any man or by all your people of Israel, each knowing the affliction of his own heart 
and stretching out his hands toward this house, then here in heaven your dwelling place, and forgive and act and render to, to each whose heart you know according to all his ways. For you only know the hearts of all children of mankind, that they may fear you all the days that they live in the land that you gave to our fathers. It almost seems like an all-encompassing prayer. Um, what is he saying? I mean, yeah, and, and the, as I said earlier, I think Solomon has pretty much uh, checked all the boxes except one. What he hasn't yet uh, talked about is if this house is destroyed, um, mm. which I'm not sure he could foresee that. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, and, and I think there's also some language in here where even the priesthood, um, sort of that human priesthood, intermediary between man and God, because, of course, in, in this atonement process, we are to bring our sacrifices before God to the priest. And he's really talking about a direct connection between the people who are crying out, even toward this building, that God will hear them and God will forgive them. There's the, you know, even though there is a system of atonement put into place here that has an intermediary in the priesthood, that doesn't mean you can't come before God and plead your case directly and that God will not hear you and forgive. And, that, and that's helpful, too. I one time heard a, one of my I go through confirmation and talk about prayer. Is this that understanding of one of my uh, confirmands? I said, so what's, what's, what do you like about prayer was the question I asked as we were talking about it. And one, one young lady said, I like prayer because um, I know I can tell him anything and he won't tell anybody else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought that was a great way to talk about it. But to get that understanding of you can come with anything in any situation, you can always come to God in prayer, which obviously points to what a friend we have in Jesus. The hymn um, points us to that as well. But now they know where to go. Because this is the place not only of sacrifices, but also a house of prayer, uh, which obviously points us to Jesus as well. So any other any other nuggets that you have in these verses? I just think it's it's fascinating because it, it, Solomon doesn't even know. He's, you know, he's not giving us a primer on how to get forgiveness. So, yeah, we have to always, you know, counter it with that. But it just seems to me that wherever you are, you don't have to schlep up the hill to get to this house. Just pray toward this house. I think this is why it is traditional in our churches that we always put the altar on the eastern wall of the church, uh, because it's toward the house where where prayer, it, where God is hearing. Um, hmm. That's that's just interesting thought, I think. In what way? Well, that that doesn't really matter where you are, just pray toward this house. You know that God is hearing here, and He can hear you everywhere, but when you focus yourself on where God's presence is, and for us it's the altar and the church, Mm. um, you know, you don't have to come to the church to pray, but put the place of God first in your mind when you're praying to Him, and He will hear you. Ah, okay, very good. Yeah, we're... Thing that we can't visualize, right? He gives right. us a place to, to actually visualize when we come to him in prayer. 
And this is this goes back to a little bit to when they're putting the temple together and they have all these um, furnishings that are there that clearly point you to the, the Holy of Holies, point you to why you're in this temple. And the same thing happens in our own churches, that our, our churches are set up that people know when you walk through those doors, this is a place of prayer. This is a place that we're pointing our eyes back to the Lord. And and that's important because I found this, and I'd be interested in your um, your piety as well, Pastor, is I know I pray a whole lot better if I go into the church and pray as opposed yeah. to if I'm trying to pray around, well, like this microphone right here in my office or around my computer. It's just, you know that this is a place where I can face the Lord and that I know he'll hear me. Not that I don't think he doesn't hear me right now when we're praying. But it's just it's just different. We know that place. Any thoughts on yeah, that? I mean, there. I mean, even our little sanctuary, which is pretty pretty basic, it's a storefront. But when I'm in there by myself in the stillness of that place, there is a sanctity about it that I know that God is hearing. And mm-hmm. I think that's the. I mean, especially when when you're in a gorgeous vaulted. You know, that is the whole point of the medieval churches, this pointing toward heaven and this big space that gives you this sense of sanctity, but you can get it in the, in the meagerest of sanctuaries, i.e. ours. Right, right, right. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Exactly right. Now I want to, we do have a question that I want to get to, but I really want to first read these verses 41 to 43. Um, because this goes into that centripetal, uh, centripetal, ah, I never say that word very well, this evangelistic understanding that we spoke about before. So 41 to 43. Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a far country for your namesake, for they shall hear of the great name, your mighty hand, and of your outstretched arm, when he comes and prays toward this house, here in heaven your dwelling place, and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you, in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel, that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. Now, just kind of a feeling that, you know, the Old Testament, it was only those who were Israelites that had even a stake or understanding of God. But here it kind of speaks differently. How would you describe that to someone as they hear these verses? I mean, as, you know, as I said, the, uh, the word of God goes out, whether we like it or not. Right. And so, you know, and, and uh, the fact that Solomon has become so prosperous, has be- Israel has become in their pinnacle, uh, it's going to draw people to them, and they're going to hear about God. And then when they come, because they've heard about God, and maybe they're coming because they're traders going from south to north or whatever it might be, or they may be coming just because they're curious. And a great, you know, this is a great prefiguring, of course, of the wise men coming from the east. Mm-hmm. Um do ask, do what they ask you as well, because I, we I know that you know though you use Israel to be the cradle from where salvation comes, your heart is for the whole world. Bless them as you have blessed us. And so this is an understanding of even in the Old Testament, it was always about faith. I mean, would that uh, could we argue that in these in these verses? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, certainly they. They are, if they're just coming as looky-loo tourists, they're not necessarily going to 
uh, do this, but if they're coming for your name's sake, when when they have when they have hungered to know you better, they will come and you and please listen to them. Well, and this goes back to our text we had for Sunday with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, that he clearly this guy from Ethiopia was a believer in Yahweh and in the mm-hmm. Lord, which didn't necessarily come from that kind of area. But then he went to Jerusalem to worship. And so he knew of this. And so it makes you realize that the name had gone even out to Ethiopia at that time and obviously even beyond those walls. And as he does today, I mean, you'll find Christians across the world who are worshiping our Lord. Last thoughts on foreigners and faith and so forth. Yeah, it's just it's such a shame because um, you know I I just think that we have lost. I mean, we have done a great job of of ministering the gospel to the foreigners now as the church. But you know, again, I have to beat my own drum. But we dare not forget those same lost sheep who have who are praying this prayer and yet have turned away from God and uh, have lost that hunger and and that that Holy Spirit that is that is, if not indwelling them, still calling to them. And I think the church uh, can do um, a better job of reaching out to the, to the Jewish people who are listening to this prayer in that time and yet have turned away from it today. Well, that's just a reminder to our listeners to pray for the Jewish nation. And I think you're right. It's something that for many of us um, in the Midwest, we kind of see it as out of sight, out of mind a little bit. Um, but it, you know, I know Pastor Parviz, it's been very helpful for me to have you as one of our guests because you've opened my eyes to that reality. And guess what? There are Jewish people even in central Minnesota. So that's been an eye opener for me. So I appreciate that and ask for our Lord's grace to do better. Um, let's move on. 44 through 45. If your people go out to battle against their enemy, by whatever way you shall send them, and they pray to the Lord toward the city that you have chosen and the house that I have built for your name, then hear in heaven their prayer and their plea and maintain their cause. So this is another example of, you know, pray without ceasing, even when you're going out for battle to pray. Um, and he asked them to hear them. What is he asking uh, from the Lord in this case? And, you know, again, and here, here they're busy, they're in battle, but they're praying toward this house. They don't have to slip up the hill uh, to get right. to this house. Uh, just be, by by knowing where 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 God is hearing, uh, and by having faith in the fact that God hears in this place, those who just pray toward this house hear their prayer and deliver them. And it's, it's so simple too. It, it's just a reminder for us that we can pray at all times and at all places, even what seems to be not the most quote holy of things like a battle or a war, so forth is to ask the Lord to be with us, as you said before, with Israel, that he has called us to be faithful, even though we don't fully understand what's all happening surrounding us. And Lord, um, maintain the cause for good in our world. So we have the last number of verses. I want to go through this question, Pastor, and it has to do with, the question is this. Are there many connections, major connections, between Solomon's prayer and Deuteronomy 28, Maybe the saddest chapter of the scriptures. This is an email from Paul. There's 14 verses of blessings, but then 54 verses of cursings. Um, What would be the connection and how would you describe that? 
I mean, it, it is the same thing. Moses, who is acting as the intermediary here, even though he's not Aaron, but he he's praying for God's blessing and giving this blessing upon uh, his people. But he knows when they go into that land that they're going to sin and fall into uh, into corruption and everything else. And yet he still has faith in God to maintain his promises, even against the the wholesale corruption of the people, because even Moses knows there will always be a remnant. Just like the 12 mm. spies that came back, 10 were ready to sell out to the remnant, said, no, I think we can do this with God's help. Uh, you know, so there's always going to be a remnant of people who are who are pleading to God and being faithful to God. And that remnant can save the whole nation. And and that's what that's what Solomon is talking about, and that's what uh, Moses was talking about. Oh, and, and the refreshing part of this is very honest. It's not. Um, I hope that there never is sin again. It's like no, there's going to be sin. And here's Lord, how we ask for you to deal with us, and He gives us examples of how we are. Then, therefore, to go back to the Lord. I love the honesty when people are honest about sin, death, and reality, because too yeah. often we try to overlook all those things. And so, we can get you. overly biased and believe we never sin. And unfortunately, the, the whole concept of sin is lost from the Jewish people today. Mm. And that makes Jesus a lot harder. No sin, what's the point of the cross, right? And that's uh, yeah. a tough thing. Yeah. So let's move on. Actually, these verses will help us as we just mentioned that. We'll go all the way to the end in verse 53. If they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them and give them to an enemy, so that they are carried away captive to the land of the enemy, far off or near. Yet if they turn their heart and the land to which they have been carried captive, and repent and plead with you in the land of their captors, saying, We have sinned and have acted perversely and wickedly. If they repent with all their mind, with all their heart, in the land of their enemies, who carried them captive and pray to you toward their land, which you have give, gave to their fathers, the city that you have chosen, and the house that I have built for your name, then here in heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their plea. Maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you and all the transgressions that they have committed against you. And grant them compassion in the sight of those who carry them captive, that they may have compassion on them. For they are your people and your heritage, which you brought out of Egypt from the midst of the iron furnace. Let your eyes be open to the plea of your servant and the plea of your people Israel, giving ear to them whenever they call to you. For they, you separate them from among all the peoples of the earth to be your heritage, as you declare through Moses your servant, and then brought our fathers out of Egypt, O Lord our God." I tried to go quickly through that, but here he is definitely asking um, for forgiveness. If you sin, obviously you do sin. And it sounds like he's kind of talking about the Babylonian captivity. What are your thoughts? Yeah, he's foreseeing Daniel and Darius. Mm-hmm. I mean, Daniel is, the, is among the very small remnant that pleads to God. And Darius, uh, and he says, you know, Turn their hearts and help the help the captor, uh, help the captive, mm. that they may have compassion on them. For you know, that, that's really it's, it's fascinating how Solomon seems to be prefiguring here in his prayer the Babylonian captivity and the the seventy years. But but because of the faithfulness of God's people and God's promise, then uh, they are repatriated and and the. Greek king has compassion on them. 
Well, and that's what's fascinating about it is he's speaking if this happens, and we know looking back, it does happen, but they know what to do. I mean, they're people of mm-hmm. of the of the scriptures. They know what to do, which is to pray. And just like how we often will say, you pray now, but it doesn't mean he's going to answer tomorrow. And it was a long process before they came back. And once again, the temple was destroyed. I mean, there's so many connections there. It's hard to sum it up. But Pastor, we have less than a minute. Can you sum up the verses we read and the prayer that Solomon gave and what that means for us today in less than a minute? I just think it's God is good and we are not. But as long as we understand that God is good and turn toward him, he will he will forgive us. And, and, of course, we never want to forget that the, the temple is destroyed, but the temple is raised. It is raised in three days, and it is Jesus and the church that he is the cornerstone of. Pastor Kevin Parviz of Congregation Kaivi Shalom, helping us today with 1 Kings chapter 8. Pastor Parviz, thank you again for being our guest. Thank you. It's a blessing. Saints of our Lord, as Solomon prayed to to the Lord and interceded for others, the Lord helps us do the same. O Lord, give us ear to our prayers that when we call for you, um, whether it is outsiders, that they may believe. We pray for forgiveness to be given to sinners like all of us, and that your protecting hand may be upon your people. O Lord, by your Holy Spirit, help us to pray. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us. Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands.